just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today I was able to catch up with Megan to talk all about her diagnosis of vulvodynia, endometriosis and adenomyosis. In this episode, Megan talks us through her diagnosis story, what it was like being a part of the PIPI program at Burwood Hospital, the importance of finding a good GP, her experience navigating the private versus public aspect of the New Zealand health system, and everything in between. Megan shares her story so openly, and I'm really grateful that I could help share her story with all of you today. Welcome to That's So Crime. Thank you so much for joining me on That So Chronic today and inviting me over to your place. I was on my, dri- on my way driving here, I was thinking, I have not done an interview in person in many, many months, so I'm just so happy to see you in real life. It's <laughs> an actual human. Yay! <laughs> Yeah. Now, you love animals. Mm-hmm. You have lived an extraordinary life. You've trained as a veterinary technician, mm-hmm. which is super cool. And I didn't actually realize that that was a job, but of course mm-hmm. it's a job. You are also living with a diagnosis of endometriosis, adenomyosis, and vulvodynia, which mm-hmm. we're going to chat more about today. Yeah. So thank you for being here. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> now, I hope my pronunciation with adenomyosis was okay. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of one that I didn't really know about until really random. And the thing is, it's suspected adenomyosis because I believe the only way that you can officially diagnose it is by taking a biopsy of the uterus. So after surgery was told that I have like an adenomyosis looking uterus and he wouldn't be surprised if it was. So I see. Officially, I don't know if I can say that I have a diagnosis, but. It was part of what I was told. Yeah. So we'll roll with that. It's definitely <laughs> one of those words that I see written down everywhere, but mm. I never like said out loud. <laughs> so yeah. when I was doing that intro, just and I was like, oh my God, Jess, you've never like said this out loud. <laughs> yeah. So with these diagnoses, I can only imagine from my research and from chatting to other people that also have endometriosis, I can only imagine that diagnosis wasn't the beginning of your story. How did all of this start for you? I guess like right back at the beginning, I didn't think anything was wrong. I was really like getting my period like 16 and had kind of just been brushed off by my doctor that it would take a while to settle down and everything's normal. And yeah, and my childhood GP at that point had no interest in the fact that I was uncomfortable or in pain so it wasn't till I moved to Christchurch that we kind of looked at things and I had a doctor that was willing to listen um yeah and it was kind of all over the place and quite a dramatic journey from there yeah yeah. were your periods always quite like painful they weren't necessarily painful they were really random and sometimes really intense and sometimes like nothing yeah so it wasn't like alarm bells but it wasn't also like normal yeah yeah and I wasn't I was 19 when I moved to Christchurch so I had three years of kind of all over the place yeah but I was really lucky with the doctor that I started Mm. with 
and I hadn't been on any birth control at that point so she's like I wonder if you have PCOS because I get quite a lot of hair growth and um, all kind of the classic symptoms so we did a blood panel and she's like I think you have PCOS let's just chuck you on the Levelin pill which is kind of like the first stop for everyone I have had a really bad time on Levelin that was not good for me no neither me either (laughs) Um, I was on it for like a total of two months and my body hated it and it was not a good time so we kind of went okay cool we'll move off that and we went down the route of the marina. Okay. Which at the time was not funded. So it oh, was wow. like $400, <gasps> which is okay. I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's see if this will help settle things. And I was riding full time at that point. Yes, yep. riding. And I needed things to just settle down so I could continue and that I wasn't being interrupted by periods yep. and not knowing when it was coming because that was the biggest thing because I still wasn't regular at 19. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, we were kind of figuring that out. So we had the marina attempted to place the marina at my doctor's office okay it didn't happen it was way too painful I was like screaming in pain we couldn't do it yeah speculum hurt they couldn't get anywhere near so we were like okay cool let's just apply publicly for to have it done under sedation basically which they can do and in the meantime we'll chuck you on the depot injection yeah and all of this time it's because they think that you have PCOS. Yeah, at that time, we didn't really think anything was wrong. Just like PCOS, well, I guess that is wrong, but it wasn't anything too intense. We just yep. needed to manage the periods and go from there. Okay. And yeah, so we applied public and I got a letter being like, you'll be two plus years. Two but, plus years? Because you're not, you're not a priority on the list to just have <laughs> sedation for a marina place. So that was really fun. Oh my God. So I was like, okay, cool, we'll, we'll just wait. And I've got the depot injection anyway. Let's see how yeah. that goes. And I didn't really have any problems with the depot. Um, I had like breakthrough bleeding, but it was nothing awful. So it was, it solved my issues okay. until 2019. We were like, cool, smear test time. Yeah. Because at that stage, smear tests were yearly from 20, and yeah. I had mine slightly early. So we went ahead to do the smear test. And yeah, I couldn't do it. It was far too painful. Mm -hmm. I was on the table, like wiped out in pain. It wasn't even the actual smear test. It was just the insertion of the speculum was too painful. Wow. And my nurse was completing it and she's like, look, we probably need to talk to your doctor and try and figure something out because this is not ideal. Yeah. So I went through back to my doctor and we discussed it. And I have private health insurance, which I'm really lucky, which my parents have done since I was a baby. My policy date actually starts the day before I was born because they've (laughs) mucked up the system but anyway so I've been insured since the day I was born and it's 80% cover so I still have a bit to pay on top but it means that I can go private for things and I actually hadn't thought of even going private for gynae issues because that's covered my eczema as a child that's the biggest thing with the health insurance was seeing the dermatologist and Mm -hmm. dealing with all of that because I also had alopecia as a child. Ah. So I had the lovely trio of alopecia, eczema, and asthma. Okay. Which come as a trio with like autoimmune issues. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so I had all of that to deal with yep. as a child, and I still have eczema now, but that was a random tangent. But anyway, so oh, I had even... like, it's, it's, doesn't it just suck during winter? Oh, God, yeah. It's yeah. just like, well, even now my hands are still like cracked, and I got out of the shower before. I was like, oh, God. Yeah. My skin's covered, but anyway. <laughs> so I was referred by my GP to Oxford Women's Health. Okay. Which was really good. Have had an amazing experience with them. They've been really good. So I was referred to this gynecologist, just to check things out and to do the marina placement. Okay, Funny yeah. thing is, so that was 
February I was referred and I got an appointment in May. Okay. I then got a letter from public oh. with an appointment two days after this oh, private appointment. <laughs> so I was like, okay, cool. We'll go to the private appointment. And yeah. if she's cool with me getting it done under sedation, I'll just say I've already got a public appointment and we'll, yeah. we'll do it that way and we won't worry about it. Not expecting anything else to come from it because I didn't think anything was wrong. Yeah. I never heard the word endometriosis ever muttered oh. in my life. Like I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. So we went to that appointment and she was like nope we're not doing this under sedation oh. we're going to do it under anesthetic we're going to do okay. a laparoscopy um we're going to check everything's normal we're going to make sure everything's okay and we'll book you in was booked oh. for a month's time that was cool great do you think that it was that moment that she was suspecting that it might yeah. be endo yeah i think it was she was suspecting that it could have been endo and i was diagnosed with vulvodynia that okay. day as well yep. so she did uh, an examination and could see that everything's red and angry and really painful. So a diagnosis okay. of vulvodynia, which they classify as a diagnosis, yeah. but it literally means pain of the vulva. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it doesn't describe what the condition is or how, what's causing it, which there's hundreds of causes for okay. every different person. But yeah, so we had the diagnosis for vulvodynia. We went into the laparoscopy, didn't know what was really happening. I had, was very blase at that point. Yeah. I didn't Google anything. I was like, I, I, we'll just go with it. It's yeah. fine. It'll all come back normal, which it did. Oh. I woke up from that surgery and she tells me that I have a normal looking pelvis. Okay. Which is cool. I was like, awesome. Okay, that's fine. Even though at that point I was having pelvic pain. So I was, okay. I had symptoms. They weren't awful, but I did have symptoms. Yeah. So we had laparoscopy done and I had the marina placed, which was oh. awesome. So, oh, so they were able to do that during yeah, the Yeah, so they, they can do it under general anaesthetic at that same time, which is great. meant that I didn't have to deal with any of that and, yeah, it was done when I woke up. Um, so it should have been a really simple recovery, um, but that next month was pretty awful. Yeah. So I had a lot of pain. The marina was really not happy in there. I had like three or four ultrasounds and we went with that and everything looked normal. So she's like, we can remove it right away if you want to remove it. And I wanted to wait and try and see. So we got to about a month afterwards and we went on and pain got better. And then all of a sudden I got really, really intense pains. And that's when she's like, no, we'll take it out. Come into Christchurch Women's. So I was in Christchurch Women's over that weekend, had the marina marina removed yeah. and had extreme bleeding. So oh. I bled really bad. So I was in and out of hospital for like five days wow, with bleeding. Yeah. And yeah, that was really awful. So then to stop the bleeding, I went on two different forms of hormones. Okay. I was I thought they were birth control. Recently found out that they were just hormones. Okay, which, okay. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Lots of info that I didn't know then that I know now because I've learned a lot more. Yeah. And put on a lot of weight okay um like 30 kilos in 12 months I've mm-hmm. always been a bigger girl never been small but I never put on 30 kilos in yeah. 12 months and we carried on through and kind of focused in on the vulvodynia issue and part of that was I was a part of a trial that Broward Hospital did um called Pippi which I've okay. written down here what it stands for because I knew I would forget (laughs) so PIPI stands for practical interdisciplinary pelvic pain intervention okay so it's it was a trial that they were doing to try and get funding through the CDHB of a program that has been done overseas where there's a pain specialist gynecologist uh pain psychologist the physios a bunch of wraparound services that they bring around a bunch of women basically 
for intentional uh, improvement of pain. Yeah. Uh, so Burroid Clinic already does like a pain clinic, mm-hmm. um, but they were finding that women with pelvic pain were struggling to be able to identify that issue yeah. and deal with that because it's such a specific issue. So I was in the last group of that trial with five other women okay. and we did a bunch of things and learned all about our nervous system and yeah. the psychology of pain and all sorts and exercises that we could do for our own bodies even on bad pain days and how to stretch and mm-hmm. good nutrition and it was so well wrapped around it was really good so we did that and that helped with pain or at least the psychology behind yeah. things I was a lot more aware and we focused on the bulbodynia so we got to like it was like the middle of 20 20 okay and decided that we should do just some botox to the pelvic floor which yep. fun fact southern cross thinks is a superficial <gasps> thing <laughs> <laughs> i had to fight them tooth and nail for them to pay part of my botox for my pelvic floor muscles <laughs> like i had to ring them and then i had to get this specialist to write a note and they're like this is not for superficial reasons yeah like do you not know what the pelvic floor muscles are or where they're located they must just see like botox yes. and then that just rings yeah. alarm bells but yeah. i mean you can get botox even for like chronic migraine and yes. all sorts yeah. of things yeah <gasps> so it was just like mind-blowing but they wouldn't pay the full amount or like 80 percent. so i got yeah. like 500 dollars out of the thousand but okay. it's better than paying the whole thing yeah and during that procedure we also did nerve blocks to the okay. pedental nerve which runs down the spine and encapsulates your like um groin area yeah so we did that and we were also to do biopsies so straightforward procedure no stress and i woke up with a catheter in and i was like what the heck is going on yeah so I had torn when they were scrubbing me in. So I had uh, cuts all over, but particularly the worst was like the perineum area, the okay. opening of my vagina. Yeah. And yeah, they couldn't stitch it because it had torn while they were scrubbing me in. They weren't actually doing anything. They were just cleaning the area. Oh, wow. Um, so my skin by that point had been so atrophied yeah. due to the depot, which we I only did like three rounds of the depot, but... A side effect that depot can do is that can it thin your skin. Wow. So it had thinned my skin to the point that it could just tear. Wow, I never knew that that was a thing. Yeah, or you did, you know, like yeah. huge long lists of stuff that you don't even know about, but I only found out afterwards because yeah. it had also exposed my nerves, which were making my body any worse. So it's this whole circle of things that were fixing one problem but not fixing yeah. the other. And during that time, it felt like we'd separated the vulvodynia issues with the pelvic pain. Uh, yeah. So we'd started focusing in on the vulvodynia and ignoring the pelvic pain. Yeah. And that made it really difficult because I was still experiencing the pelvic pain. Yeah. And I wasn't having my period because I was on a lot of hormones, but I was gaining weight. Yeah. Which was the exact opposite of what I wanted to be doing. But yeah, the surgery I'd torn, so I ended up staying in overnight with a catheter in because I couldn't get any like urine and moisture or anything on any of my scars. Wow. And because they couldn't stitch the scar at the opening of my vagina, they literally had to put gauze and I just had pieces of gauze. And it was maddening. I was on bed rest for two weeks because they had to heal it. They were changing the gauze every two days. I actually had a piece of gauze left (laughs) and lost. And it was like two weeks after last seeing the doctor, so a month after the procedure. I was like putting cream on, estrogen cream to try and help heal because that's a big thing that you do to try and help heal tissue, like particularly there Mm -hmm. is estrogen cream. Um, And I was like, oh, that's a really massive scar. The next night was putting cream on and I was like, 
that's not a scar. That's that feels like a piece of gauze. And so I didn't want to touch it because yeah. it felt painful. Everything was flying. Yeah. So I went to my GP, who was the most incredible woman. She's okay. amazing. Um, and I was like, I-, I think I'm going crazy, but I think there's still some gauze there. She was like, oh, okay, we'll have a look. And initially she's like, oh, I can't see anything. But checked again. She's like, oh, yeah, there it is. <gasps> so there'd been a piece of gauze sitting in there, which I figured out had been like two and a half weeks. Wow. Sitting in there because the nurse who was coming to do it at home yeah. was like, oh, it's fallen out. But it hadn't. It was still in there. <laughs> and she just put another piece in there. And the oh, doctor hadn't fully checked. Yeah. The gynecologist hadn't fully checked. So it just been sitting in there getting me more and more irritated. Yeah, so that was that, and we went back down the physio route and yeah. to try and help the vulvodynia and try and relax some muscles, but I was constantly in a cycle with that, that we'd do a little bit of work at physio and it would flare and everything again. Yeah. So I was constantly in this like inflamed state in my body. And then the next step was also going to a dermatologist who specializes in like vulvodynia okay. and that sort of thing was really hopeful with that, even though the biopsies from my surgery came back clear. Mm-hmm. We were all kind of suspecting that I would have eczema. Yeah. Already having eczema everywhere on my body at times. Yeah. And having had it right through my whole life. Mm-hmm. And there was no eczema in that biopsy. Okay. So she wanted to check that there wasn't like a deep-rooted infection. Okay. So I went on antibiotics for 28 days, which was awful. I was yeah. in so much pain, but... This doctor really hadn't really given me the time of day, hadn't given me clear instructions. She forgot my name. Oh my I was God. in there for five minutes. Um, like it was, it's like probably written down in front of yeah, you. Yeah, like, so she on. was reading the notes in front of me oh. and going back through and recounting them in both appointments. So I did the antibiotics. She never said to me, look, if you feel awful, you can stop them. Yeah. So I was like, no, I'll power through because I could have... It could have just been a really deep-rooted infection that we've never quite cleared. Yeah. By that point, I'd been doing a lot of reading, and I was in support groups for vulvodynia, and support groups are amazing. Mm-hmm. They're really, really awesome, but they also bring out some of the de- like the worst fears in you, <laughs> yes, because you yeah. read all these horrific things that it could be. But I was like, right, we'll push through. Let's get rid of this deep-rooted infection. It did nothing. Okay. So I came back to her in the second appointment and she said to me, how was the antibiotics? And I said, it was awful. Yeah. It didn't do anything. I was still just as much pain. And she's like, why didn't you stop them? <gasps> and I was like, I, d- I didn't think I could. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea that I could stop them. And um, yeah, again, she called me the wrong name, calling me from the waiting room. And yeah, she sort of just jumped from the antibiotics to going on and making, getting a compound cream um with amitriptyline mm-hmm. in it which can help relieve nerve issues yeah and I was like oh okay cool what's the plan from here because she was going to rush yeah. me straight out of the room and I was like look I have had like the amitriptyline estrogen cream combos before if this doesn't work what's the plan she's like oh we'll put you on amitriptyline orally yeah and I was like that's awesome but I have already discussed this with my GP because yeah. throughout this whole time I've been regularly seeing my GP Yeah, and she is just awesome and I'm really, really lucky and other doctors there have been really good too. And we'd already talked about amitriptyline before that yeah. at my GP clinic and part of that is having um, an ECG of your heart to make sure that you're all good there Yeah, because amitriptyline can slow down parts of your heart just slightly mm-hmm. and it's not abnormal for most people but because of how I believe it was my QT rhythms and my heart 
were already slightly longer. They weren't abnormal, but with that medication, it would adjust yeah. and could make it unsafe. And I was like, well, I've got other things broken with me. I don't want to deal with my heart yeah. being broken. We're not doing that. So I said this to her. I was like, we've done an ECG at my doctor's and already discussed this, and they would not recommend me doing it. And she got really mad really really mad went on to insult my gps about how they overstepped their boundaries and she'd refer me to the cardiologist to make sure that i could do it and i was just like why am i even here yeah we have not made any improvements so i actually didn't go back yeah and like were you paid was it like private yeah well? it was yeah. like 300 dollars an appointment which 80 percent covered by southern cross but still, really lucky but still there's yeah, money there yeah so i actually didn't go back and i have really good communication with my gp yeah. so i was like to her hey look this has happened and she's like look i can refer you to cardiology too if you want to make sure yeah. that that's <laughs> what you want to do but like we've already talked about this yeah and that cream that she wanted me to do i could only get it one pharmacy in christchurch and right. i don't live in central christchurch yeah. so i had to go there and it was like 50 dollars a bottle <gasps> For cream that I would probably use in like a month. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so I'm not doing that. So at that point, I kind of just left things. Yeah. So we're end of 2020 coming into 21. And and all and a pandemic is going on. Yeah, there was a pandemic in yeah. the middle of that. <laughs> and I'd had like bad experiences in Christchurch Women's yeah. at that time that just like, I was like, you know what? I'm over it. Yeah. I'm done. Let's stop looking for a while. And at that point, I was like, let's just stop looking. I'm just going to function at the level that I'm at, which okay. was not a good point. Yeah. But at least I wasn't feeling like I was getting poking, poked and prodded. Yeah. And I can definitely understand coming to that conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. So alongside all of this, I have known the CDHB Youth Advisory Council. I know Jazz through random connections with amazing. horses. I yeah. love them. They oh, are so amazing. <laughs> so they did an event in, I think it was March of 2021, yeah. with a bunch of specialists on endometriosis. And I was like, I have all the symptoms of endo. Maybe there'll be something interesting that I can learn. So yeah. bought a ticket, went along to it on a bad pain day. So I only got to stay for half the time. Yeah. But I got to hear Deborah Bush, who was the CEO of Endometriosis New Zealand at that point, a doctor, I can't remember his name, but he was a GP who dealt with endometriosis and Dr. Michael East, mm -hmm. who is one of the experts in New Zealand. And he got up and speaking and he just had the best character and he started speaking about a condition called adenomyosis. Mm -hmm. And he's like, the symptoms are very similar, but can be missed quite often. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And yeah. wrote down my notes and I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm seeing my GP next week. I'll mention it to her. Yeah. And I said to her the next week, that I would really like to hear him speak again. And she was like, why don't we just refer you to him? He's a, He works at Oxford Women's Health half the time and works in Auckland. Wow. And I was like, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. She's like, look, he's an expert in the field. He's probably yeah. seen someone with a similar case. Yeah. You're not the only one that has issues like this. Let's find someone who has the information. Yeah. So I got an appointment with him and he was amazing. <gasps> Like, the first sign that it was already good was that the initial consults are 45 minutes. Every consult, initial consult appointment yeah. is 45 minutes. And did he remember your name? Yes, he remembered my name. <gasps> Love that. <laughs> um, That's how, like, low the bar. Yeah, and that was the point, was like, oh, someone remember my name. <laughs> yeah. It's not like it's an uncommon name. <laughs> it's not that hard. Yeah. I don't care how you say it. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he was just so good. I was in there for an hour and 15 minutes yeah. and he didn't rush me out of the room. 
took the time to hear all of my concerns and he takes a very like holistic whole body okay. view of pain in different conditions because at that point I was like my pelvic pain and vulvodynia are completely separate yeah. issues like they are not connected there's no reason for that and they've never been treated as though they no. could be yeah like connected could, anyway a hundred percent so sat there and we did the consult and he looked back at my images from my laparoscopy yeah he's like well i can't see anything in these because they're too high quality oh not high quality sorry they're low quality and they need to be like looked through yeah again and he looked at my ultrasounds and went through all of the stuff that he had access to and he's like i want to do another laparoscopy on you okay just to make sure nothing's going on we can check that and at the same time he wanted to do an operation called Fenton's operation okay. on my vulvodynia or on my vulva sorry to deal with the vulvodynia because I had like tents in my skin okay so that was causing part of my pain was mm-hmm. like my skin was being stretched and pulled in ways that it shouldn't be stretched yeah. and pulled so we decided to do that and he wanted to place a JDS because he looked at my ultrasound and he goes your marina wouldn't have fit in your uterus cavity yeah. because your marina needs 42 millimeters in your uterine cavity with space around it basically yeah. my whole uterus measured 62 millimeters which is small anyway okay but my uterine cavity was 41 millimeters <gasps> so it actually didn't fit <laughs> it kind of blows my mind a little bit that they were doing like an operation under general anesthetic yeah and it didn't cross their mind to be like oh this is like smaller than we would yeah, normally yeah and like they, they literally move it out of the way to look underneath and yeah that's tmi to some people probably <laughs> but like it's cool to me wow but yeah so that was a one revelation from that appointment so he's like look we'll place a jds it yeah. has a lot of success for people with endometriosis if it doesn't work we'll just take it out okay and it will fit yeah <laughs> so i had the jds placed the laparoscopy done and the fenton's operation woke up and was told, yes, you have endometriosis. Oh. And we believe you also have adenomyosis. Okay. And we've done the Fenton's operation and everything looks really good. That's the easiest recovery I've ever had from any operation. My body was, like, had pain. Yeah. Had to take meds, but that's post-surgery. But nothing went wrong after. Oh, that's amazing. Because it was gone. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I had endometriosis on my bowel on my bladder, on my ovaries, and, like, a few other places. But it matched all of my symptoms. Yeah. Because I couldn't actually tell the difference of needing to go to the toilet or whether I was in a pain flare because yeah. it all felt the same. I see. But I had adhesions onto my bowel. So yeah. that explains it. <gasps> and yeah. were they able to remove some of this? Yeah. yeah. So I believe all of my endometriosis was removed yeah. in that surgery, which was really good. On my ovary, they had to stitch it up out of the way because they had to detach it from another part of my body okay. with the adhesion. So they go back in three months-ish post and just check that the stitches have dissolved and the ovaries back in the right Mm -hmm. place. So it's the best recovery I've ever had from any operation. I finally had an answer and I went back to my GP and was like, I was right. Yeah. I knew my body the whole time. Yeah. And I sat down with Deborah Bush because she does consults just with life with endo afterwards. And it was really good. And we looked through my images and she's like, well, there's irritation there in your 2019 images. So all my veins and stuff are really inflamed and everything looked angry. And it's not necessarily endo, but it's not a normal pelvis. It's something. Yeah, Yeah. like that's not normal. So saying it was a normal pelvis isn't right. Yeah, It's very much incorrect. So... Yeah, so I'm now at the point that I'm having a bit of pain. Yep. Um, and we had a colonoscopy. We, 
I had a colonoscopy <laughs> last month just to check that it is just IBS and sort of endometriosis stuff, which yeah. it is, which is good. Because I was actually meant to have that before seeing Michael East last year oh. and it actually got cancelled and moved to after. Oh so I gosh. immediately had relief. So I wasn't going to worry about doing a colonoscopy yeah. that can make flare everything up uh, until symptoms come back. Yeah. And I kind of made that choice to yeah. go from there. And just managing symptoms as best as I can and yeah. dealing with that. And yeah, that's kind of my journey so far. But just crazy amounts of money that I would have had to pay yeah. to if I didn't have insurance. Yeah. And I don't think I would have a diagnosis with the public system yet. I don't think I would have had my first laparoscopy yeah. by now. And wow. vulvodynia addressed. I have other people around me that I know who've had issues and had to go private to actually yeah. get operations to help with their conditions. Yeah. Even though they were diagnosed publicly, but they won't operate. Wow. Which is mind-blowing, but yeah. <laughs> How important do you think it is that you did have that good GP throughout all of this? Like, how essential was that for your journey? Life-changing. Yeah. Like, 100% life-changing. I was taught how to advocate for myself through her. Yeah. Uh, through all of those GPs, because they show me that I could have faith in myself yeah. because we all have instincts for what's going on or in thoughts that pop in your head about certain things should yeah. not be ignored. Yeah. Those thoughts do come for reasons and you need someone who's willing to bounce off those ideas. And yeah. that is what she became yeah. and so very helpful and acknowledges what I need yeah. and very supportive no matter what. Yeah. That's amazing. Life-changing. Really, really life-changing. I would not be where I am if I didn't have a doctor (laughs) like that. And everyone needs someone like that who has – or who makes them feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, everyone deserves that. It makes such a difference. (laughs) So eventually getting this diagnosis of Mm -hmm. endometriosis and suspected adenomyosis, what would be your definition – of endometriosis Mm -hmm. if someone's listening and they're like I you know I've heard of it before but I've got no idea what it actually is so my understanding of the official diagnosis of endometriosis is it's endometrium like tissue that grows outside of the body for me I the biggest things were um, pain with bladder and bowel movements and pelvic pain a lot of bloating Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of my blood tests would come back with inflammation but they couldn't where the inflammation oh, was yeah because it wasn't like I was sick or yeah. I had an infection or and they don't come back with that now yeah so yeah for me endometriosis became quite limiting and painful yeah it's hard to explain I guess but yeah for me it affected my periods yeah. it affected my mental health too mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of it was very connected um I know that there was a well-rounded cycle of psychological issues with physical pain issues um yeah yeah, it's a very interesting road for everyone because there's so many symptoms when you look at the list of symptoms for endometriosis it could be at this point literally anything yeah (laughs) and it's becoming more and more common the more they diagnose and like one in ten people in new zealand and it's becoming closer to one in nine wow people in new zealand are diagnosed with endo yeah mind-blowing <laughs> yeah and like you mentioned at the beginning the adenomyosis mm-hmm. essentially quite similar but it's that the endometrium like tissue is yeah. growing in the muscular yes. part of 
the uterus yes. as opposed to outside. Yes. So I can see how that can just all mm-hmm. just be this big smush of like yep. pain what is going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is symptoms for endometriosis and endometriosis are almost identical yeah. in some cases. Yeah. So I went into that operation having no idea whether it was adeno, whether it was endo, or whether I was just this massive hypochondriac that I was becoming to feel like it was. Yeah. Uh, So having other people that were willing to be like, no, we're checking. And if it's not, that doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean... Doesn't mean you're making it up. Yeah, you're not making it up. It's not all in your head. Yeah. Because that's a word that gets thrown around all the time, which is not true. Even if there's no pain, it doesn't mean it's all in your head. It means that there is other things going on, whether it's neurological or nervous system or all sorts of things. And just because there's not something physically there doesn't mean that you aren't experiencing pain. Yeah. People should believe that you still are experiencing pain. 100%. Like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You touched on it briefly just then Mm. about it affecting your mental health. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine, you know, from my own experience as well, of just experiencing pain quite a lot of the time did it take a toll on your mental health how was all of that for you oh it's definitely taken a major toll in my mental health it's really limiting yeah and I'm very much a person that I do feed off other people so being in pain or not being able to continue to do the normal things that I like to do Mm -hmm. it was really limiting yeah and it also there's a lot of internal talk within well for me anyway there was a lot of internal talk that it all became very negative. Yeah. And having to do things that not a lot of other people have to deal with yeah. at young ages, it really does put a weight on you. I definitely get depressed at times yeah. dealing with with it, which I think is quite common with any chronic illness. Um, I also get quite anxious about different things, but I work really hard to work through that. And I've become quite a clear communicator of my needs a lot of the time to try and help better that. Yeah. Because that's probably the biggest thing that has helped is communicating with people about my own needs or where I'm at. Because Mm -hmm. people just want to know whether it's work or friends or, you know, if you can communicate clearly. Yeah. It takes the pressure off because I think, for me, my world got really, really small yeah. when I'm in a lot of pain. Yeah. And, like, the anxiety and the depression and stuff gets a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. And it fills a lot of that space and the yeah. loneliness and that sort of thing. Whereas if being able to clearly communicate this is what's going on or beforehand in a flare of being like, hey, if I'm in a flare, this is what I need yeah. or this is what I want. Yeah. And that makes it a lot easier to deal with all of that. Yeah. But, Yeah. I work on myself weekly. Yeah. <laughs> the therapy is really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like the pain psychologists and stuff have been really interesting, particularly in that Pippi program about the connection. I do notice if I'm having a rough time, my pain does get worse. Yeah. And that's really important to get out of that funk. Yeah. Getting outside, breathing in fresh air, even if it's just walking out and standing in the garden yeah. for 10 minutes, or even if I can't make it outside, it's opening the ranch ladder and yeah. sitting on the couch and getting some fresh air some sunshine sounds really cheesy because it's all the stuff that when you're in a hard place that it's really hard and major to do but it does make all the difference yeah it really does yeah and just being kind (laughs) yeah even if you only manage to do one thing and get dressed that's cool yeah and be proud of that and work through that yeah (laughs) yeah I know for me personally I can find it quite hard to I guess not take my MS or even just the symptoms that come along with that 
like personally yeah and I feel like it consumes me a lot of the time Mm -hmm. have you have you experienced anything like that yeah very regularly even now after having like the endo removed and stuff it's still it does feel like it's a part of me at times and it's really trying to separate not completely because it's my journey yeah and it's things that I've worked through but also separating changing it from I'm in pain or the pain I'm dealing with so yeah. that the pain is not me. Yeah. Uh, and that's a big thing that I remind myself regularly. Yeah. <laughs> because it's it's hard to not take it all as you. Yeah. If you could go back in time to Megan, who doesn't have a diagnosis yet, who a dermatologist has forgotten their name. <laughs> if you could go back to that time and say something to yourself, knowing what you know now, what would you say? There'd be two things. First one would be keep pushing. Yeah. There, there is answers out there. It's difficult and it's hard, but there is someone out there. There's there's always a second opinion. Yeah. Because that was a big thing. I actually hadn't even considered getting a second opinion until mm-hmm. going to that event. And it made all the difference getting a second yeah. opinion. And if I hadn't have gone, how long would I have lived in that pain until someone realized that it, maybe we needed to check again? Yeah. Um, and the other one is kindness to myself yeah (laughs) I am very much the person who likes to just keep going and keep doing everything and give myself a gazillion things to do because I want to conquer the world in five minutes yeah so being kind and understanding is the biggest thing yeah um yeah having space just to relax and chill yeah I don't know the keep pushing one's really important because there is an answer for everyone yeah and it's really hard and it's really tiring So I guess the combination is giving yourself space to rest, but not giving up hope, probably. yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story (laughs) with me today and with everybody listening, wherever they may be. What an amazing story. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great. (laughs) And of course, thank you for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. If you're new around here, hi, welcome. Every Tuesday, there is a new episode wherever you listen to your podcasts. So make sure you've pressed follow so you never miss an episode. Honestly, I say it all the time, but the That's So Chronic community truly is my favorite. So thank you for being here, listening and supporting. Don't be afraid to reach out and connect over on Instagram or TikTok. I'm at That's So Chronic. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with someone who you think would enjoy it as well? That really helps that so chronic get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly hope see you next week